so it helps you make all your decisions. So when you're stuck, you can look at your armature and say, well, what am I trying to say here? Is there a way that I haven't said it, that I can say it? On this week's episode of You Are a Storyteller, Brian McDonald and Jesse Bryan talk about how to get unstuck. When you know how to get unstuck, you can avoid some of the stress and anxiety that comes with working under tight deadlines and deliver great stories on time. Okay. A funny thing happened hmm. on the way to the forum. No. A funny <laughs> thing happened yeah. uh, recently, I think, with, with this program that neither of us anticipated. Mm-hmm. We started figuring out just through talking to people and people emailing and nice things the amount of professionals that listen. Mm-hmm. My original guess when we did this show, right, um, was to help people realize that they're storytellers, right, that hopefully if you heard this, the whole, there's an entire episode about why we did the show. I anticipated it would be a lot of students, you know. Right. I assume some of them were your students and maybe they were like, it was an opportunity for them to get lear- learn more mm-hmm. because, you know, I took your class six times. It takes, right, and, and then I get to ask, ask questions all the time. For folks that don't get to do that, it's like, okay, cool. This could be a great outlet to help, you know, students continuing. Then we found out that it's a lot of professionals. Yeah. Right? And so I thought we should make um, an episode geared more towards folks that are dealing with this stuff on a day-in and day-out basis. Mm-hmm. And so today we're going to talk about what do you do when you get stuck, right? You're under deadline, okay? Right. Client came back whatever it is, mm-hmm. I need another version of this script. I need another, you know, take a look at this rewrite. I need this thing to happen. And these are folks that are like, no, my job, Brian, is writing on this stuff. Um, what do you do when you get stuck, right? And mm-hmm. so that's what we're going to talk about this week. Okay. Okay. Now, as you know, obviously, because you're under deadline for, for stuff, and I, it's cool because I got to actually hold your new book, right? Mm-hmm. You're starting to get those advanced copies. Like, um, those are real deadlines. You got a lot of stuff you got to do, right? And when when you're when you're in a spot when you know something maybe isn't all the way there, mm-hmm. or you hear from I don't know um, a publisher or the studio you're working with or whatever that they want to see some changes and you don't have a ton of time, can you talk to me about what is kind of the best antidote um, for getting stuck? Is there one? Would you say that there is one? So for getting unstuck? Unstuck. Yeah, not yeah. for getting stuck. I have yeah. lots of ways to get yeah, stuck. Yeah, there's good ways to get yeah. stuck. Um, well, it depends on how you're stuck. So when you say stuck, do you mean stuck creatively? Like, I don't know what to do? Or do you mean stuck um, institutionally? Like, these guys mm. want me to do this, and these people want me to do this, and I know what to yeah, do. That's or really do you, hard, yeah. Yeah, so which, which kind of well, stuck do you mean? Well, I would say... Well, I think maybe I should give some context. Okay. Where this kind of started from is earlier today we were talking and um, we were talking about how, for me, um, the only cure for imposter syndrome has been craft, Mm -hmm. right? And how, you know, the only thing that's ever actually helped with that is like the more that I learn, the less I get anxious about, well, what happens if somebody tries to change the script on me. I'd be like, well, I can tell them whether or not it'll work or not because I can, mm-hmm. you can suss those things out. And so like the more you, you learn the craft side, it felt to me like it really eases off on that anxiety of, well, what happens when fill in the blank thing happens? Right. So that's where kind of some of these ideas started. When you talk about, let's take the first scenario, right? Okay. Where you said you're stuck creatively, okay. right? Because um, we'll get to the more bureaucracy side in a okay. minute because I've We've talked about some of your publishers and different things like that in the past. But if you're like given a you're given a task, mm-hmm. okay, Brian, 
I need some, I need you to pitch me three ideas for this thing, right? Mm -hmm. In a week. And you're kind of drawing a blank. How do you approach that scenario? Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, it depends on what it is, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, if it's something we do here, right? Some kind of a branding thing or something like that. Um, then that's one approach, but if it's a comic book character or something, that's another approach. Well, let's start with a comic book, because that's something that's more personal that you could probably handle by yourself, and then we can talk about okay. larger larger teams when you're doing a documentary or commercial right. or something. So with a comic book, if somebody said, hey, we need you know, this, then I always go, it, the, the answer is always inside the thing, right? So if um, it's a character that already exists, like when I was uh, wrote The Predator, comic that character existed um and so i just do my research on that character and i pull the material from inside right i don't impose something on can you explain what that means where the the answer is in the text or the answer is inside the Mm -hmm. the pre so this is pre-existing characters right right mickey mouse predator whatever the thing is yeah you would say the first thing is you look inside right what does that mean can you talk about the predator because that specific comic is is killer, mm-hmm. and people could actually pick it up if they wanted to. Yeah. Uh, Strange Rue, it's called. It's in it's in one of the omnibuses of uh, uh, you know Predator compilations. It's in one of them. I forget which one. I think number two or something from Dark Horse. But um, but it's just a one shot story that I did, and that um, that story. Well, I. I at the time, there was there were two Predator movies out, so there was Predator one and two. So I had to watch those, and then I read every comic I could get a hold of that had a, the Predator in it. You know, uh, given the amount of time I had, so I read a few, and and so you learn things about the Predator and and the Predators and who they are, right? So they can I ask a question? Yeah, you're watching these movies. Are you watching them with like a pad and pencil, like, no. or is this just in your head? You're just cattle, you're looking for character traits. I'm looking for um, like. Can you give me an example of the kind something of you learned about the predator by just watching? Um, I well, um, well, let me think. Well, they're they're very uh, the characters are very into fair play, right? Oh, so so they want their um, they want their prey to be worthy prey. Yeah. Right. So um, in my book, there's a character um, who's hurt, like he's been hurt in the arm. And so when the predator is going to take this guy on, because the predator's got like these Wolverine-like blades, he stabs his own arm, the predator, to equal, like, okay, all right, you're hurt, I'll hurt my, right? But that came out of- It was like an honor to the predator. Yeah. They're not just killers. Yeah. You know, it's like, well, I'm not going to kill you if you just, you know, if you're hurt or you're like, it's it's a they're hunters, they're hunters. And they want the prey. They measure themselves, I think, by how difficult the prey. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, And in the second in the second movie, um, when uh, Danny Glover's character kills the predator, all the other predators respect him and give him right. Yeah. Give him a trophy. Right. Which is a gun from. 17 something or other, right? And so then all I could think of is, well, that's cool. So the Predators have been coming here a long time. How about doing some stories about Predators in the past? And I wrote this whole proposal about Predators. I wrote 
10 story ideas for predators in different eras. No way, yeah. really. And how people interpreted those things. And huh. yeah. And um, anyway, I got one of them through, but I wrote 10, which I, I really liked when there was one with a samurai and one with a, like, yeah. There was all, there were, yeah. But uh, they picked this particular one. But that all came out of the material, right? I didn't impose anything. I went, oh, the predators have been coming here a long time. You weren't starting with, what could I do? No. You're starting with like, well, what's 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 in the text? What's in the text, right? So I knew that was in the text, um, the, that they'd been here before. I know they um, go to places uh, where there's heat and there's conflict, hmm. right? Yeah, because there's the jungle and then there's the town. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, so the, there's something there. So all that stuff, I just took out of that stuff. I didn't invent anything. Right. You know? Um, what was the armature for the comic? Uh, well, if you if you read the comic, you'll see that uh, the the uh, the younger characters don't pay attention to the older guy, and you'll see that the the wisdom he's the one who survives because he has the wisdom. Hmm. Listen to the old folks. Listen to the old folks. <laughs> That's funny. That's yeah. totally true. Yeah. Um, and so you look in the text; it gave you those clues. Um, what's funny is. Can you talk about how the you? Uh, I guess this isn't exactly about it, but I just loved what you did with the artwork in that, with the artist you worked with. Can you talk about how you applied some of those character traits of the predator into the art? Well, Mitch Mitch Bird drew that. He'd have to talk about that, but I can tell you um, that there's a lot of um, Mitch was great and uh, really smart. He's a smart artist who I had to fight for. They didn't want him at first. I think I've had to fight for every, <laughs> all of the artists, yeah. yeah, but. Um, so I had to fight for him because he was perfect for the tone and, and of, of this particular piece um, because there's a little bit of a comic twist and he he's he just split he was perfect anyway and he had to do a he had to do a drawing of the predator so they could see that he could draw the predator and they were like oh I see sure he can do this and uh, it was an amazing drawing anyway uh, there's a whole thing in the book about um, uh, eating. I don't mm-hmm. want to get into it because yeah, people yeah. want to read the book. But there's a thing about eating. And so um, I asked him. I didn't tell him what to do, but I said, hey, throughout this whole book, because it's in a swamp, I go, can you, wherever you can, put animals eating other animals in the book? So all throughout the background and the foreground of yeah, that book. Yeah, it's crazy. It, when you see it, it's crazy. Yeah, he it's did a, such a great job. He did an amazing job. Yeah. So uh, that's all throughout the piece. So he he sort of reinforced the, what I'm what I'm getting at in that piece. Um, in the in the art, he was great. Can you talk to me? Why was that such an easy decision to make? So when you go like, well, first I look at inside the text. Mm-hmm. It sounds like that you say that like it's super obvious. What else I, would I do? Well, I think a lot of folks would. Before I understood these things, what I would have done is been like, what would be cool? Oh, yeah. That's or what's something the predators never done before? Right. Because I want to break the mold, and I want to stand out. Right. Or. Um, What's something people won't see coming or, you know, any of those things you were like, well, first thing I look at is the material. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there's there's a way because you risk not being true to the character and then losing the audience that loves the character or that, that you right, You risk losing it by imposing yourself. There's some. A couple of shows on right now. Mm hmm that are remakes of other shows or reboots of other shows. Mm-hmm. I won't say what they there are. There are. Huh. There are a couple of those things. Uh-huh. Yeah. And they seem to be imposing 
their will on these shows instead of taking um, taking their lead and leaning more into it. I would lean more into what those things are, hmm. right? So, for instance, one of my favorite examples of that is um, when Nicholas Myers did Meyer did um, um, is it Myers or Meyer? Now I can't remember. Whatever. I don't know if it's an S or not. I can't remember. I think it's an S. I think it's got an S. I think it's Nicholas Myers. Anyway, when he did Star Trek II, because when he did Star Trek II, he um, he leaned into a lot of the Star Trek stuff. Like um, they had, so they have sort of naval rankings, admirals, and right. So he just went, okay, I'm going to make it the Navy. So if you look at their costumes, he used sort of Navy costumes. He um, the the uh, photon torpedoes are being loaded into a torpedo bay like a like he did made everything like a submarine like i'll make it like a submarine huh. i'll make this like this is a navy vessel he just leaned i in. felt that but i didn't know that yeah yeah he's like let's make it like that this is like an old naval thing right and that was actually um horatio hornblower which is a bunch of naval you know books that was an influence for gene roddenberry so so oh, that's smart he knew the tech he knew where yeah, it came from yeah so you know, so he just leaned into what that was already. So he didn't impose it and say, I should make it more like this or I should make it more like that because well, I, I like the cool. Navy. Yeah. No, he's like, they're already doing that. So I'll just go further with it. Hmm. So that's a really good example of somebody doing that. Yeah. And that's know? part of doing your homework. Yeah. But what I find now is a lot of people just want to change the thing because they want to make it their own. They want to put their stamp on it. Um, but it's interesting because everybody thinks Star Trek II is the best of the Star Trek movies. And he, I'm not saying he didn't put his stamp on it, but it seemed like he was just trying to tell the best story within that universe, within yeah. that world that he could. Yeah. Um, and that's how he put his stamp on it, but not by trying to put his stamp on it. You put your stamp on it by trying to disappear. Yeah. Like by being true to the the the, the story you're telling. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know if I've talked about it before, but I don't – I mean, I – I don't like what they did with Spock and the new Star Trek mm. movies. Mm -mm. I haven't talked about that before. No. Uh -uh. Because here's the thing. Um, if you look at the material, now, Star Trek, the original series, had a lot of different writers on it. But those all those writers contributed something to those characters, and those characters developed over time and lasted for, you know, decades. Right? Yeah, sure. So if you look at the original Star Trek, you have um, – you have – Spock, who's completely logical and um, really is about suppressing his emotions and mm -hmm. tries to make logical decisions, right? And you have Bones, the doctor, who is all about the humanity of things, right? So those two characters are often in conflict. Which right? is you, great. Yeah, you can see it in Star Trek Two. It's like um, Star Trek Two has some amazing stuff in it, but but you can see that conflict in the, in where it's like, but we're talking about people, you know, and you're, we're talking about, right? <laughs> like, yeah. you know, but the logical thing is X, Y, and Z. You see, that's, that's what their conflict is. So you have all logic and all emotion. And what's Kirk's job? Kirk's job is to balance those two things and make the right decision. Yeah. Right? And so they are like the angel and devil on Kirk's shoulder. Yeah, it's so smart. It's just crazy. Right? So if you decide, like they did in this new Star Trek movies, hey, you know what would be great? If Spock was really emotional, well, guess what? Now it's not Spock. Now yeah. you're not doing what those characters are supposed supposed yeah. to be doing. They were there on purpose. Yeah, it's like why are you messing with it instead of leaning into it? Right. It doesn't make any sense to me. Well, it's also almost it, it's almost assuming that these writers, right, mm -hmm. didn't know what they were doing. I'm not saying that, but 
Right. But, I mean, that's. But I'm just saying, I don't know why you wouldn't just. Oh, you're assuming that the the original writers yeah, didn't right. know what they were yeah, doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where you're like, I I, I know a way to punch this up, and you're like, no, 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 hold a second. The screwdriver and the hammer are different. You need them both for different right. things. Right. In the toolbox, right? Yeah. Like you said, the angels on either shoulder. Right. Like these guys weren't dumb. No, they weren't dumb. And whether or not that was a plan initially or whatever, yeah. it did develop over time that that was the relationship. Yeah. And then everything got better. Right. Because it's like you know what you know who who needs to do what. Right. Um, and so uh, that's what I mean by leaning into the material and looking at the material. What what are those? What are the function functions of those characters? What kinds of stories are told in this universe? Yeah. Those are the stories I need to tell. Yeah. Excuse me. Those are the these are the, the characters do this. I need to lean into that. How can I how can I make that? Um, how can I make that work for me? There's a story in there. There's if I the further I go in, the 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 better my story is going to be. If you come out and you go, what what could be cool that happens to Kirk? Well, that's not. So what? Yeah. Right. Um, I think that the other thing in Star Trek Two is I don't want this to be a Star Trek Two <laughs> episode. Yeah. <laughs> this episode brought to you by Jesse, Star Trek, Trek Two, <laughs> but it's really well written and uh, partially because he just looked at the material. And also, there's an interesting thing with um, in Star Trek Two, Kirk is worried about getting old. Right. That's the whole his whole thing which is interesting because i remember when the original movie came out star trek the motion picture mm -hmm. and there hadn't been any star trek between the original series and star trek the motion picture and i remember people saying they look so old the cast they look so old in star trek the motion picture so it seems like what nicholas myers did was go okay all right i'm gonna embrace that let's embrace that smart yeah yeah it was really smart God. I don't know if that's where he was coming from, but that that I do remember that conversation. Pay and, that off though. Okay. Why why was it important that he was feeling old? Well, at that point, they knew that Leonard Nimoy wanted to leave Star Trek. He was done playing Spock and he was leaving. So they knew that they were gonna kill Spock by the end of that um movie. Yeah. Everybody knew that. It was big news. Spock's going to die. I hear Spock's going to die. It was big, big news. So Similar to Harrison Ford in Star Wars. Right. Everybody knew like that he wanted out. Right. Right. So he wanted out. He didn't want to, he didn't want to play Spock anymore. Yeah. He was done. So, um, so they knew he was going to die. So what Nicholas Myers did was make that story about uh, Kirk facing his own mortality about facing death and they talk about how he cheats death and how he never faces death and they talk about how he treated on a test where he was supposed to face death he never faced it mm -hmm. so um uh and he's feeling old the whole time there's a whole thing about how he's feeling old right he gets um glasses for his birthday it's his birthday as a matter of fact yeah here's what's interesting <sighs> so good <laughs> because um it's his birthday and spot gives him a gift and he gives him um, uh, great expectations. And and Kirk opens it up and he starts to read and he says, it was the worst of times, it was the best of times or whatever, best of times, however it goes. And he goes, uh, he goes, the best times, it was the worst of times. And he goes- uh, Wait, that's Tale of Two Cities? Tale of Two Cities. Yeah, yeah. I say great expectations? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Tale of Two yeah, Cities. Yeah. yeah, and Tale of Two Cities, that's perfect. Yeah, that's exactly, right? Yeah. So, yeah, and he says, that the, yeah, the best of times, the worst of times. And he says, message Spock? You know, he says, well, none that I'm conscious of. But, of course, one the screenwriter's conscious of. Yeah. Because um, 
people are wishing Kirk a happy birthday, and he's miserable. And uh, when Bones comes to see him, he goes, "Why are the other people have birthdays? Why are we treating yours like a funeral? Right? Like the whole huh. thing is about how like I'm just getting old, and you know, Jeez. the whole thing is about that." Yes, yeah, it's, so it's amazing. The glasses thing. He, said, he like, gets glasses, and at one point he has to put them on. He's a little like oh, I got to put my glasses on when he's on the yeah, bridge, uh-huh. you know, to read something, you know. Yeah. And uh, so it's all about him uh, facing his own mortality, and facing mortality. And uh, there's a whole idea that sometimes you can't win. Sometimes death wins. And he's like, mm-hmm. No, I don't believe in that. I don't believe in the no-win scenario, right? But at the end of the piece, Spock sacrifices himself. Right. Yeah. Spock goes, well, he faces death where Kirk won't. And Kirk's last line after Spock's funeral and everything, they, somebody says, how do you feel? And he says, I feel young. Just... Yeah. Yeah. But I guess you could also just blow up a bunch of stuff. Too. <laughs> Brian. But here's the difference. Just because they always say to it. Brian, that's what I want to see. Right. Right. When people talk about structure. Yeah. That's when it works and you go, oh, my God. And you walk out of the movie and you go like, when we bitch about stuff, people just think. <laughs> right. right. You know why? It's because when you see that and you go like, oh, my God. <laughs> right. That was amazing. Yeah. Talk about delivering. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's. Yeah. That's amazing. It's really amazing. It's really, really well written. There's a reason that people think it's. And that people think it's all about Khan. Like, it's because Khan's such a good villain. It's like, no, that's not why. I know you want to, it's not that Khan's not a good villain, but you can have a good villain and not have a good story. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. God, that's amazing. It's amazing. But anyway. And to think, I was scared of water, right? Yeah. Like, oh my God. Right, right, yeah. You know, I used to be afraid of the water, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, the end of Jaws, it's like, yeah, it's about something. So, but anyway, going back to getting. Yeah, getting, yeah, yeah. Unstuck. Getting unstuck. Um, right, Nicholas Meyer had a problem. I got to make a Star Trek movie, yeah. right? Uh, some of that stuff existed before he came on. There had been some version of the script before he came on, but he had to come in and rewrite it very quickly. Um, he didn't have hardly any time to rewrite it, as, as I understand it. Hmm. Um, and I don't know how what the original script was or what he did, but yeah. I know he did a lot of work on it. Um, so for you, tip number one, look inside. Look inside. Look inside the thing that you're, yeah, because the answer is always inside. The answer is always inside the material. Hmm. What about when it gets a little bit more complicated, right? Like, okay. Because the funny thing is what, what you just talked about is way more complicated than you have to pitch 10 stories and they're going to pick one. Once they pick a story, I'm assuming at that point, you kind of just get to play that out. Uh, like with the, with, the, with the Predator stuff. Oh, sometimes they give you a note or two. Make this instead of that happen, blah, blah, blah. We had to go back and forth. And the Predator, now in Predator 2, the movie, because yeah. I couldn't do anything that they hadn't done, right, in the movies. Like I couldn't, they wouldn't let me do anything. Yeah. Uh, and that included, at one point the Predator eats something in my book at the very beginning. And they're like, well, we've never seen the Predator eat. Now in Predator 2, there's like a... Um, a meat locker thing they know the predator's been eating there and i go well we know the predator eats because we've seen it in predator 2 it's like yeah but we never actually saw him eat hmm. so it's like we can't see him eat in your book so i had to fight for that so there's huh. these weird little 
things, things yeah, that yeah, yeah. 20th Century Fox was worried about or something. Yeah, yeah. It's like, well, we've never seen him eat. It's like, well, we can assume. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's a predator. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. it's like, and we know he eats meat. Like, there were a bunch of things we knew. We just had never yeah. seen him actually ingest <laughs> meat. So you look inside. Mm-hmm. Let's say you look inside and um, maybe it's maybe it's more of an ensemble thing, right? Like it's a, it's a film, kind of like we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Or how do you uh, – great, you just did the first draft of Star Trek, yeah. right? Um, people come back, they have notes. Maybe those notes, you don't know how to incorporate them because it's actually leaving the, the theme or the armature, oh, right. right? Like how do you navigate that kind of stuckness? Or is that even a fair question? Because that's so political and so different. It can be really tough. The problem is this. Often those people who who are making those decisions don't know this stuff, right? Yeah. Um, and people don't want to say that, and, but it's often true. They don't know, right? And they'll say stuff that doesn't make sense, and they'll give you notes that don't make sense. And the problem is you can't make them make sense if they mm-hmm. don't make sense. And the only thing, I I just give them the best thing I can give them. And I try to incorporate their notes if I can. But the truth of the matter is, if you can't make it work, they will know it doesn't work. And they never blame themselves for giving you a bad note. Right? They never go, <laughs> oh, man, I'm so sorry. I, was a, I shouldn't have told you that. Yeah. I can see where that's going uh-huh. wrong. It's like, well, you haven't nailed it. Right? And then they give it back to you. So um, I just try to give them the best work I can and let it work on them, right? Mm. Because if it works on them, they're gonna be fine with it. And if it doesn't work and they wanna change it, then that's up to them. And if it doesn't work for them or it does work for them and they still wanna change it for their own reasons, yeah. Um, you know you gave them the best work you could. I mean, sometimes they people fight you on giving them good work. They fight it. So, you're kidding, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, with that, one of the things I was talking to some of the creative directors about, um, at least here, was like, you know, a big part of your job is education, mm-hmm. right? If you can educate folks on the front end of like, well, here's how, you know, here's how story works and blah, blah, blah. Then you can actually go like, well, hold on a second. The reason why, you know, the guy at the beginning is talking so much and the younger people blow him off is because the point is, blah, blah. like, how right. much are you when you're like dealing, when you're stuck or you're trying to get somebody to maybe get a producer unstuck or whatever, are you actually trying to explain the rationale? Does that make sense? Yeah. That could be tough because people, if there's two things, either um, I've had people tell me things like, well, of course I know that when of course they don't or they wouldn't right. be asking or they to wouldn't, change yeah. it. Right. Um, but they're, they get their backup because you've, shown a chink in their armor right mm. like well, uh, but i i right so you have to be careful sometimes about that um because people aren't willing to admit where their limitations are mm. um and that can be tough um they feel challenged right and all, all i care about is the work i just want the work to be good yeah right right so um but they feel challenged and so that can be a difficult thing I don't know exactly. I wish I have learned. I haven't learned how to exactly how to solve that problem. I remember one time you sent me this thing you made. It was like a cartoon where the guy was pitching a story. And he's like, "We love your story about the cake." Oh, it was that. It was uh, Hollywood makes a cake. Is that what it was? Yeah. And it yeah. was like, "But can you make it a pie?" 
It's yeah. Like, well, no, because, <laughs> because it wouldn't be a cake. Yeah. Or whatever. You're like, yeah. Yeah. I've had those meetings. Those are really fun. Yeah. Uh, where they want you to do something else. You want me to do something. I can do something else, but yeah, that yeah. doesn't work in this. But the predator wouldn't ride a bicycle and sell ice cream. Right. That's not what he would do. Yeah. You're like, oh, I think it'd be pretty cool if he did. You're like, <laughs> I don't, I don't think he would do that. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So what other kinds of stuck do you, um, again, going back to these, there's these creative situations where you have to be able to move fast. You have to be able to like turn a script around, mm-hmm. you know, like in right. a night or something like that. Right. And you're getting, you're sitting there staring at the wall. Do you have any other tips as far as like, what do you like? Again, you look inside is one. Any other tips where somebody's right now might be listening to this and they're staring at a wall and going like, I got a deadline. Right. You know, in 14 hours, I don't even know where to start. Okay. So there's a weird thing about deadlines. They can, uh, of course, they can motivate you, right? Sometimes, like, I got to get this done. But often um, they can choke you, right? And the best thing you can do is forget that you have it. The best thing you can do, I think, sometimes is walk away. Mm. Because we think that, well, especially if you're writing, oh, I'm not writing unless I'm sitting in front of this computer or however you write, um, and th- I'm doing the hard work right now. But y- you can you can let your subconscious do some work. You can go out. I go out and take pictures or take a walk or do something else. Right. right? I let my mind go somewhere else. And often the problem will solve itself when you're doing that. When mm. you, and you can't pretend to do something else. You just have to do something yeah, else right. and disengage, right? Because you're not going to solve that problem. By Sherlock scaring. Holmes yeah. plays the violin. He goes to yeah. show. Right, yeah. yeah, right. You have to do something else and engage in something else. Um, it seems to loosen up your brain and it seems huh. to like uh, a lot of people use that kind of that kind of technique, you know, so um, – uh, look through books, do whatever, do something to get your mind out of that space. Yeah. Um, which I think people do naturally and they think of it as procrastination, right? So I think that people go, I really should do my dishes when they're at home working or something. Yeah. Right. And they think they're not working on their project, but they're still working. Yeah. They're working it out. Right. There's something about sitting there in front of it sometimes that it just is not helpful. Hmm. Um, and so, one way to get unstuck is to forget about your deadline, actually, strangely enough. Because when the epiphany hits, the work can go pretty quickly. Hmm. Um, you know what's f- funny is um, I'm reading a book, and it's a business book, mm-hmm. you know, um, called Connecting the, the Dots. It was the CEO of Cisco. Uh, tells a story about when he was, I think he was six. He was going fishing with his dad. And they're going along like a, a steep riverbank, mm-hmm. and uh, he's following his, his dad, and he slips and he falls in the river. And this is like rivers, rapids, and bad yeah. news. And his head comes above the water, and all he hears his dad keeps yelling is, "Don't let go of the fishing pole! Don't let go of the fishing pole!" And he would go under, and he's like, "Now, as a little kid, you listen to your dad." Right. He's like, so I gripped on, and he goes, "You gotta understand, this isn't a special fishing pole. It wasn't like my great grandpa's fishing pole. He's like, yeah. it was just a fishing pole." But my dad's telling me, don't let go of the fishing pole. And he would hold on to it. He was going down the rapids. Rapids dad was running along. And he kept yelling the whole time he was running. Don't let go of that fishing pole. Don't let go of the fishing pole. And he finally gets to a part where it's it slows down a little bit. And dad jumps in, pulls him out of the river, and he sits him down. And he goes, now, my dad was a doctor. 
And so he'd always want to explain to me why he did the things he did. So he sat me down and he goes, my dad said, now I kept telling you to, to hold on to that fishing pole. He goes, because when people panic, they die. Hmm. And he goes, and as a doctor, I knew that if I gave you something to hold on to that would distract you from panicking, it might save your life. Huh. Right? Right. So the whole time I'm reading the story, I was like, this dad's a dick. <laughs> and then I go, I got choked up. I, I, right. got, I was reading this. And I was like, what an incredible dad to go. I got to give him something to hold on to. Right. If he starts to panic, he's going to die. Right. And then he says, years later, there was an 11 year old kid who drowned in that same spot. Hmm. And he goes, he didn't have a fishing pole. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, I love that story. But like. When you're distracted, like you said, you know, maybe obsessing about the deadline isn't going to help you. Right. You're going to panic. Right. Right. Yeah. And all of a sudden now you're in fight or flight. You're not even thinking abstractly anymore. Right. Right. Yeah. That's what they say. I remember when I was in theater, right? Directing theater. Where it'd be like, you have an actor who's maybe not as good. Well, you give him a broom. And they start thinking about sweeping and they stop thinking about acting. And all of a sudden right. their acting's way better. Right. Right. Uh, that fishing pole could be. Yeah, I am going to take the time to do my dishes, right? But, you know. Yeah. Um, I also think there's a really great John Cleese um, piece on this. Oh, right. right. Um, that we can link to. John Cleese was talking about studying at Cambridge about how creativity works, right? He says the same type of thing, you know, studying the brain stuff. It's really fantastic. That might be worth looking at, too. But, like, that fishing pole is, you know, it, it just came to mind when you were talking mm-hmm. about, you know, pretty much don't panic. Right. Right. That deadline's going to hurt you. Don't don't worry about that. Um, but one of the things John Cleese says, too, is that the difference between him, um, he goes, now, I wasn't the best writer, or the funniest guy of, you know, flight, or, you know, Monty, Monty Python. Python. And he goes, but everybody else, like our deadline was Monday or something like that. And he goes, everybody else would rush to turn in their scripts on Friday so that over the weekend they could just relax and not worry about work. And he goes, not me. I wouldn't start writing until the last minute. Mm-hmm. And he goes, so, you know, I'd be thinking about it and then I'd go ride a horse or I'd be thinking about it and yeah. then I'd go to movies or I'd be thinking about it. And then he goes, and then on Monday afternoon, he's like, I'd sit down and I'd write it. And he goes, the difference is I had more of my stuff play than anybody else's actually make it on the show. Mm-hmm. And he goes, it's because I think I was willing to sit in the uncomfortable uncomfortableness of not knowing longer than anyone else. Right. I thought that was brilliant. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, anyways. No, but I hold think on that, to your fishing pole. I think people are are. Yeah, they're afraid of that uncomfortability, and that can choke you mm-hmm. and panic you. So, yeah, don't worry about your deadline. I mean, it's real. You know, you do have to worry about it, but put it in the back of your mind. Don't put it in the forefront of your mind because um, I think it, it'll choke off your creativity. You have to get – with creativity, it's a strange thing. You have to – it's work and play all together. Mm-hmm. And – if you lose the sense of play, then then you can't make the work work, <laughs> if that makes any sense. Yeah. That there has to be a little bit of, I don't know if fun's the right thing, because it's not always fun. You're not always doing fun work. You might be yeah. doing something very serious or, um, but, um, and maybe there's a word for serious play. I don't know what that is, but, but. They sort of work hand in hand, and you can't lose the play part. You can't lose the the part of you that made you want to do this in the first place. Hmm. 
right? The part of you that made you want to create in the first place. You have to be able to tap into that part of you. Yeah. And when you're frightened, you can't. You can't. So you have to find a way to relax and tap into the part of you that likes to. I told you one of my favorite things to do when I was a kid was stare at clouds. I loved staring at clouds and seeing seeing shapes in the clouds. And I was like, that is the greatest pastime in the world. And that's my job. <laughs> that's my job. Yeah. I look at the clouds uh, and I go, this is what I see. Yeah. That's essentially the job that I have. That's huh. what a writer does. That's what creative people do, right? You stare at clouds. Yeah. Right, essentially. Yeah. Right, and see what you see. Yeah. And if you lose Find that the meaning, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. If you lose that, then you you can't do the work. It's like I often think about that staring at cloud thing mm-hmm. I did when I was a kid, and I still do it on purpose. Yeah. Like that's my job. My job is hanging around staring at clouds. That's the greatest job in the world. Yeah. You know. You know. But that is the job. Then I got to write down what I see. Right. right. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> you know. But. Yeah, it's it's hmm. so if you lose that thing that got you interested in the first place, then you're yeah, that then you'll get stuck. And I even think this is where it's funny where some of them are. I think you said something like the toughest folks in class are usually the least. Um, oh, not informed, but uh, yeah. So this this is what I found in, when, in my teaching. The most pushback I get is from the people with the least amount of experience. So when people say, I don't agree with this principle, or I don't agree with that, or it works that way because you think it works that way, they're usually uh, the people with the least amount of experience. Um, The people with the most experience will often say, hey, thanks for that tip, that really helped me, or that's a different way to think about it I hadn't Mm -hmm. thought about. Um, And and sometimes with more experience, like, really, you learned that from me? Like, you're, you know. and it's very flattering when that happens, but I can never figure out why the people with the least amount of experience are the ones who argued the most. But you you mentioned something about a tool, how like you don't know what a tool is. Yeah, and that's what I figured out eventually is that when you give people solutions to a problem, but they've never had the problem, they don't understand they have a solution to a problem. So you're giving them a, you've given them a tool, but they haven't ever had a use for that tool yet, right? So you just gave them a sharp stick here's a sharp stick but they never had to you're gonna want this <laughs> yeah right it's like they don't, they don't know why they need it because they never had to go spear fishing or whatever yeah, right? right so 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 to them it's just a sharp stick and it's like well you think this is useful i haven't found a use for it yeah right and the other spearfish go like oh that's a good one that's a good stick <laughs> yeah man i don't know where i'd be without my you know like yeah oh well they go fishing all day long right and so sometimes people need to um they need to have the problem before they understand that there's a solution mm-hmm. or that they need a solution. And so that's where I think the pushback comes from is that when people have hit the wall and you go, here's a way to break through the wall, they go, oh, thank you. But people who have never hit the wall go, oh, okay, well, that's just your thing. What do you say to your niece? That was cracking me up. Oh, um, w- sometimes when I give her advice, uh-huh. uh, I'll, I'll say to her, I used to do this when she was younger too, when she was like a, uh, like, you know, she'd be 13 or something, and I'd say, I'd say, Delilah, I'm not, uh, I'm not talking to you right now. I'm talking to the 30-year-old version of you because you won't understand what I'm saying right now. Uh-huh. But if I'm not around when you're 30, I'm giving you advice now. This is how things work. <laughs> uh-huh. And uh, she would listen. So that stuff, I think, will come back up when she needs it. All of a sudden, it. one day, she goes, oh, that's what the stick is for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think one of the things that maybe sounds so simple 
at least for folks that have been listening or folks that are hopping in for the first time, you look inside the text, but one of the things you kind of briefly touched on uh, when you said like, well, yeah, I mean, the, the theme or the armature of that piece was listen to your elders, mm-hmm. right? Because there's one character just telling giving them, telling these young guys how to survive in the swamp with the predator. Yeah. And they're like, ah, oh, we don't got time for you, old man, or whatever. <laughs> yeah. The armature, out of all the tools that I've ever run into, and that's why um, it was the most helpful thing for me, was understanding armature from the standpoint of not getting stuck. From the standpoint of spear fishing, that was the best, I guess, spear <laughs> was an armature because once I started going, hold on a second, what am I trying to say mm-hmm. in this piece? Yeah. Listen to your elders. Great. I'm stuck. I need to look inside and I need to remember I'm trying to say something. Right. Right. Um, how does an armature help you get unstuck? Well, it's a compass. Right. So, so if you know what you're trying to say, and that's always the first thing you want to, if you can do it. Right. So, um, if you want to, if you want to say that, um, sometimes you're just going to have to face death, right? <laughs> that's just the way it is. At some point, we're all going to have to face it, right? Mm-hmm. So, if that's what you want to say, then it makes the decisions for you. And so, you you still may get stuck. You may not know how to illustrate that at every yeah. moment, right? But for instance, there's this great. There's also in a lot of ways, in that Star Trek II thing, you have a character who um, can look at his birthday either way, the best of times or the worst of times, mm-hmm. right? So in that movie, there's the Genesis device, right? And the Genesis device t- takes, makes a dead rock and creates life, right? And so... The, so uh they're asking somebody's asking in the movie well what happens if there's already life on the planet right it's like um oh well then then this new life would replace it and then bones gets all upset it's like but there's already life you know but but uh in favor of its new matrix that's what uh, spock says oh we replace it you know in favor of its whatever he says but here's the thing um bones goes on about how like um Oh, we can do both things. We can destroy and create all like it's all every, life and death. Life yeah. and death. It's always blended in that piece. It's always together. Gosh, right? that's so smart. It's, the Genesis. I mean, come on. Unbelievable. So you said that I was like, you gotta be kidding me. I didn't. Yeah, it's not just a, you know how hard it is to do that. It's yes, impossible. I know you know how. Hard it, yeah, it's, it's impossible. It's impossible. Yeah, it all is working together. Yeah, all of it. Right. So it helps you yeah. make all your decisions. So you go, okay, I'm trying to say. That you can look at this either way. That you know, when when Kirk's friend dies, he says, "I feel young." So, right, right. Yeah. He he took the death of his friend mm-hmm. and decided he to, didn't waste it. He didn't waste it, and he decided to learn from it. Right. So so he's in the beginning. It's like it's my birthday, and this sucks. Yeah. In the end, my friend died, and I feel young. Right. So. It makes all your decisions for you. Okay, so I need a scene where this happens and I right. need to show this. What book should he give him? Oh, well, how about a book that starts, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. How about a book that starts that way? Right. It's so crazy. It's unbelievable. Nothing is wasted. And by the way, who gave him the book? Yeah, exactly. So like, Get out of here. So, so it helps you make all your decisions. So when you're stuck, 
you can look at your armature and say, well, what am I trying to say here? Is there a way that I haven't said it, that mm -hmm. I can say it? Do I need a scene that shows this? Do I need a way to externalize this idea, right? If, if Kirk feels like he's getting old, can I externalize that some way? Oh, I'll give him a pair of right. glasses, right? And then, it, then you also know, that, well, what kind of bad guy do I need? And what kind of, right? Yes, all that stuff, right? It makes you, it, yeah, that's how you get unstuck, right? You, you just look. Figure out, what am I trying to say? Yeah, and that's the biggest mistake people make. They don't know what they're trying to say. They mm -hmm. do it with design. They do it with, you know, um, I, you know, um, we were oh, talking, yeah. we we're talking about composition. Right. Yeah. Today, yeah. Right. And, um, you know, composition, visual composition is all about leading the eye and telling people where you want them to look. Right. So, um, I knew somebody, she liked my pictures and she took a pic, maybe I mentioned this on the show, but she took a picture. Um, you know, I take a lot of flower pictures and stuff. And so she took a picture and showed it to me. And I didn't know what it was supposed to be of. And it was like, well, you take pictures of flowers, it's a flower. But it was just a picture of her backyard because mm. she had no idea of compositionally how to make me look where I wanted to look, where she yeah. wanted me to look. So she, she didn't she know didn't what direct she, your focus. So she didn't, right. So she didn't know what she wanted to say. Hmm. She didn't say, like, even. Look at all of the flowers. Right. Or look at my yard. <laughs> Everything. Right? The fence. Yeah. The house behind it. Yeah. It's not, so it's like not just put up a camera and click it's like well how do i make people look right there and even not just that like sometimes i want people to look at the color hmm. sometimes i want them to look at the light and so whatever it is i want them to look at i have to make sure that everything i'm doing visually is directing your attention toward that thing mm -hmm. and often people start without knowing what they want people to look at or what they want them to see and so you're stuck because you don't have a compass. Yeah. You're just in the middle of the ocean. You don't know where you're going. So there's your choices are infinite then. Yeah. And that's why you're stuck. Right? If your choices are finite, well I'm looking for an island so I can, you know, rest. Oh, you're looking for an island. Well, what are the things that help you get to an island? Right. Or find an island, right? All oh, those birds seem to be flying somewhere. Maybe I'll follow them. They're probably fall. You know, whatever right. it is. Yeah. Whatever it is you need to do, right? So um, yeah, the armature is a really great way to get unstuck. Um, go back to it over and over again. What am I trying to say? What am I trying to say? How have I said it? How have I not said it? Mm -hmm. um, and don't be afraid to repeat it. That's the other thing. People are afraid to repeat. Right. Right. I I was talking to a friend of mine, and she's she's awesome. It's been buds for a long time, and she's she's a writer. Um, she's taking her classes up. She was my friend. I don't know if you saw her the other day. She was in here, but. Anyways, she was talking about this rom-com she was working on, and she was like, yeah, it was, you know, starting with the characters. And I was like, man, you were working way too hard. <laughs> and she's like, what are you talking about? I was like, how do you start with a character? Yeah. How do you know how that works anymore? Like, yeah. I go, well, what are you trying to say? And, you know, you kind of get, you boil it down to pretty much, love is hard, but it's worth it. Oh, okay. Yeah. So if you're trying to say love is hard, but it's worth it, wh what do you think your main character needs to be like in the first act? Yeah. Well, somebody who has sworn off love. Right, yeah. Right? Yeah. And at some point, she has to realize that love is hard, but it's worth it, right? Yeah. Okay, well, we kind of already know who our main character has to be. Right. Right? Mm -hmm. Kind of probably know what what the guy is going to be like. Right. He, you know, he's probably the one that teaches her this. Right. So, so he's going to be difficult in some way. Yeah, right. You yeah. know what I mean? You go yeah. like, yeah. But, but anyways, you go like, you see how much 
in like 30 seconds, we at least put some parameters around who these people are. Right. By starting with that armature, by starting with that survival information, you know, City Limit called it the theme. Right. Right. So sometimes when you get in, unstuck, you have you, you look inside, you know, but honestly, knowing what you're saying. It's huge. Will serve you the best. Is At least for me, if I had to open up the toolbox of everything I've gotten to learn, mm-hmm. I'd be like, that's the hammer. The thing that I use more than <laughs> right. anything is like whenever I get lost, it's my compass. It's the thing that goes, but what am I trying to say? Listen to your elders. Oh, that's right. That's right. So I need a couple of guys. I need an elder. Okay. I need right. an elder. <laughs> right. I probably need a couple of people, just like the three little pigs that, you know, two guys that don't listen to the elder. Right. Well, what's going to happen? The predator's going to be the wolf that eats them. <laughs> right. Right. And you right. go like, yeah, okay. And then at the end, what happens to the elder? Well, the elder is able to, well, you have to, I guess you have to read the comic to figure yeah. out what happens. But you see, it's actually pretty, it's way more logical. Right. Where, where I would really get scared before I had that tool, I would just be like, you know, you're laying on your couch in your office or whatever, you're looking up the ceiling going, <laughs> everything is possible. Right. You know how hard it is to make a decision when everything is on the table? Right. Yeah. It's really stinking hard. Yeah. Well, it's, it, it, I, I was talking about it today and I probably mentioned it before, but, you know, a sandbox, it's fun playing and all that, but a sandbox is a box. A sandbox is not a beach. It mm. has parameters. It has walls. Yeah. You can do a lot of things, but within those walls. Yeah. If you've got a whole beach, it's too much. Right. It's too much. Yeah. So the parameters help you. People think it boxes them in. Right. But it actually helps you. A hundred percent agree. Well, you, and that's why knowing that, the like you said, with the predators, like, we well, got to figure out the sandbox. Right. And you're like, what he would and what he wouldn't do. Right. Right? Like... You started figuring, okay, well, I watched in the first movie, I noticed this. There's an honor to him. And I noticed, yeah. right? That's that's you figuring out how big is this sandbox I can play in. Right. Pretty much, right? Yeah. Well, you need to know that. And then you get, okay, so this is what I know, because you're working with pre-existing content. Right. And then you move into, like, now, with that, what's the, what is this character, this predator, what would he be, be perfect at ushering someone into the understanding of? Right. Right? Yeah. Then you're like, well, he could, uh, yeah. Then you made ten different storylines, and one of them got picked. Yeah, but I'm assuming they all had they all had an armature. Yeah, God, I don't know how you you would have done that. Yeah, I don't know how I would have done it either. I I didn't. It was a long time ago, and I don't know if I I had the same concept of armature as I do now. Yeah, I had some working version of it. But what's funny to me is like I don't think you're going to get pushback on armature if somebody right now is under deadline. Oh no. Or the idea of like looking inside to find. The answers. I don't think you're going to get pushback from people that are under deadline. Yeah. You probably will get pushback on the more ethereal, like, I don't know, man. I just don't know if there are any you know, principles behind this stuff. I think you just <laughs> right. throw darts until you find something <laughs> magical and you're like, holy shit, that's way too much work. <laughs> Not only is it too much work, it's um, it's just, it. well, it's, well, I guess another way of saying that, it's just not efficient. Mm-hmm. Right, and when like, you don't have time, yeah. Like, see, that's my, I told you I worked on this documentary for five years. Yeah, five years. I finally started studying structure, which is insane. It took me that long, but I think I had to get my knees like you know yeah. buckled a yeah. few times before I was like, "The hell are you doing?" Right. It had to get so painful, like mm-hmm. the fear had to become greater than the pain, mm-hmm. the fear of change, the fear of going showing up to class and going like, "I have no idea what I'm doing." And people think I do, and they pay me to do this, and I have no... I'm guessing all right. the time. Um, that sucks, right? But the problem was, I'm always under deadline. 
Right. So I, I'll take all the help I can get. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, it's um, So it just made sense. Yeah, but that's because you needed it. Right. When people right. don't yeah, need yeah. it, they just, it's just I got to eat. If I don't kill these fish, I'm not going to eat. Right. Here. Well, I made this stick. Oh, this is great. Right. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I got to go back to catch a fish. Right. But if you don't know, if you've got plenty of food around and you don't, <laughs> I don't know, that's a stick. I don't know what to do. You know? Yeah. Y- yeah. I can see how uncreative people need these sticks, but not me. <laughs> right. I just go and I sing to the fish and they jump out <laughs> yeah. of the ocean and yeah. land in my lap. And you're yeah. like, okay, well, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know how to do that, but yeah, if you can do that. Yeah, and some people, you know, it, it's um, I I think they like it to be more magical. Hmm. What Makes does that them mean? feel better, somehow. Well, I just make it up. I just things just you know they, it it seems to take the magic out of it if you have a methodology. Right, so it's like, well, it's not as magical or as special if I have an armature and I don't discover everything along the way, or you know, um. Uh, for me, it's like, are you a reader or a writer, right? Like, huh. you know what Why'd I mean? Why you say that? Well, I mean, readers are discovering things along the way. Why are you doing that? You're driving this bus. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, you know? Where are we going? I don't know. We're <laughs> yeah. going to figure it out as we yeah. drive. Yeah, I don't understand that. People can work that way, and some people do, but it doesn't make any sense to me. Well, you used the example one time where you said some people can play by ear, and I thought that was really interesting because, yeah, I'm, there are people out there that can hear a song and sit down at the piano and just play it. Right. And that's why some people go like, well, you don't need any structure. You just sit down and play it. But the funny thing is when you read those people, either A, their second act is way too long, mm-hmm. right? Or the film story doesn't work. Or it does work. And you go like, no, I mean, they've actually, by nature, because again, this is something from nature. Nobody's making this up. Right. They naturally just structured it in three acts. But just like they can hear music and play it, that's a very special thing. Not right. everyone can do that. I can't do that. And I have a deadline. Right. Also, that stuff uh, can fail people. Hmm. If you don't know how you do what you do and you fail, you have no idea how to fix it. Yeah, that's scary. You know what I mean? I don't know. I rattled my magic bones and nothing happened this time. <laughs> you know what uh, I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, sure. sometimes I guess it doesn't happen. You know, uh, it's like, oh, you can, you can, <laughs> you can have a different method to make, you know, it doesn't work 100% of the time, but it works most of the time. And usually when it doesn't work, you've done something wrong. Hmm. Right? Like, oh, you know what I did? I didn't follow my armature here. I decided to put in this funny scene that has nothing to do with the piece. Yeah. All right. You know, usually you've done something wrong. It's not it, it, it's not that it didn't work. It's that you didn't understand it well enough or you've hit the wall of your abilities at that moment or something like that. Hmm. Um, and that's okay. That happens. Not You can't do it 100% of the time. But you can have a higher batting average than, yeah. than, than a person who's just sort of guessing. Right. You know? Man, it leaves you so much of the stress. It's still freaking, it's still almost impossible, right? Yeah. It's still so hard. Yeah. A lot of times we talk about these these principles of like, yeah, once you have an armature, it's a lot easier. Sure. That being said, it's still impossible. When you talk about like, you know, uh, Star Trek or where you're like yeah. Star Trek 2 and you're like, yeah, you, you you know that that's insane how hard that is to do. Then it's like, well, of course it's called the Genesis machine. Of course, you know, life yeah, and yeah. death. And you're like, oh my God. <laughs> It sounds easy. Yeah. It's impossible, but it's a little less impossible. And I'll take that yeah. every chance I get. Well, and it's also, it's weird, but if you follow the armature and all your inventions and all of your ideas come out of that piece, 
people think of you as a very creative person. Sure. Like, oh yeah. my God, the Genesis, how much, they use the Genesis device like in two more movies or something, <laughs> right? Or at least one more movie. And it's like, you know, it, it, it doesn't have the same weight anymore, by the way, you know, in the yeah. second movie, because it doesn't mean the same thing in, right. the, sec in the second time they use it in Star Trek Three. It doesn't mean the same thing. Right. So it's like, well, okay, the Genesis device, like, whatever. In the first movie, it, it had a context and it made sense. Yeah. In the second movie, they used it, it didn't. And so uh, it wasn't coming out of the material. Right. Right. Um, yeah, it wasn't coming out of the material. It was just, a, it just became a weapon hmm. that a guy wanted. And that's not the same thing as uh, life and death together. And I mean, there's some of that in Star Trek Three, but you know what I mean. It's well, what's funny is I think they're all connected. Mm -hmm. So, so like, the first one is um, look inside the piece. Right. You know what you're looking for inside? Just like look inside of a body. You know what you're gonna find? A skeleton. Right. That skeleton is the bedrock. It is the foundation. Mm -hmm. If you continue to follow that skeleton, more than likely. Your Star Trek movie is going to be awesome because the skeleton that was left from the people that started the show did did things on purpose. Right. Right. So once you find the bones, it's like, well, you just follow the bones. Right. Right. That also helps you not get so uptight because mm -hmm. you're like, well, I'm going to just trust the material. Right. Right. So you can relax more. Right. Yeah. And the third thing is the armature. Well, the armature is just the bones. Right. So it's like a, a lot of these tips you're talking about are all kind of circling around the same thing, which yeah. is what do you do when you're under deadline? Know what you're doing. Yeah. Because if you know what you're doing, right? Mm -hmm. And by know what you're doing, just, you know, understand what you're trying to say. Have a point. The armature piece. Because of that, you can relax more than the person next to you who's freaking out because they're just pulling, you know, whatever right. clouds out of the air, whatever the thing is. Yeah. Um, and also, more than likely, you're going to do a better job as far as, like, um, honoring the, the stuff, if it's, especially if it's pre-existing IP. Right. Remember, like, Star Trek, can you imagine writing that? Yeah. How many fans out there? We're talking about Star Trek. Yeah. You start touching some of these cannons, you <laughs> yeah. better, like, that's, I can't imagine the pressure. Right. But at least it alleviates some of that pressure to go like, no, no, I found the clues. They were, yeah, he was like, he was a Horatio Hornblower fan. And yeah. I know that, <laughs> so I'm going to take that from the Navy. And then I know it's about this. And I, right. right. That, that does, in essence, I think your three big points kind of circle around the same type of a thing, mm -hmm. which is... Well, armature, I guess. Well, it's Billy Wilder said, know where you're going. That was his advice to writers, know where you're going. What was he saying? He, he was essentially saying those things. He was essentially saying, know your armature, mm -hmm. know what you're saying. He always said something. Yeah. Right? Know what you're saying. Because that's, that's how you don't drive the bus off a cliff. Right? We're going this way. We're taking this road. Right. Yeah. And we're going to go there. Otherwise, you're just driving around through the jungle and hoping that, well, maybe we'll find civilization. Right. It's like, yeah. well, you could have had a map. We could have started with a map. And it's your map. Knowing where you're going is your map. Yeah. Right. So I, it, it just makes things so much easier. So that's the first thing you need to find out, I think, is where are you going? So what are you saying with this piece? Yep. Right. And that's. It could be existing IP. It could be something that you're creating or it could be work for hire. But you still always have to know, what are you trying to say with this? Right? And sometimes clients don't know what they're trying to say, and so that can be difficult. And, right. Yeah, know. yeah, that's a whole other thing. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but um, sometimes people don't understand how much easier it is if you know that. Right. It just makes the conversations easier. Um, it you can makes make better decisions when they matter. Right. Going back to... You have a doctor who understands how people work, mm -hmm. right? And in a split second without thinking, what does he say? 
hold on to your fishing pole. Right. He couldn't have made that decision if he didn't know deeply ingrained in him how humans work. Right. Because of being a doctor and he kept his son alive. Right. He knew that if he didn't tell him, give him something, he would have started thrashing and he would have drowned. Right. Mm-hmm. That fishing pole thing seems like a really obvious, like later on, you're like, oh, yeah, that's that's good. He's like, no, he, he had it a second. He had a second to make a decision. Yeah. Right. Um, and in those life and death decisions, because he had done his homework and understood everything, you know, he, he's a doctor. Yeah. Right. He was like, my dad, I fall in the water. First thing, hold on to the pole. He saves me and he goes, here's why I did it. He explains it. Right. Right. Another kid who, by the way, six versus 11. Mm-hmm. The other kid's quite a bit older. The other kid drowns. Mm-hmm. Why? Dad had survival information in his head. Right. You know what I'm saying? And so, but again, that survival information wasn't a fluke. Right. He did his homework to the point where he could improv. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Right. Like, what do I, a fishing pole. Right. right. Whatever it was. And you go like, well, why could he do that? Because of all the other stuff in the back of his head. Right. It's really amazing. It's so simple. Well, here's the other thing, too, just getting into stories in general and why people tell stories. The yeah. reason that's a compelling story is because you'll never forget that survival information. No, you won't. That's right. It's not, oh, I almost drowned one time. Right. No. It's, this is what happened. You know what he this- says? <laughs> Remember, he was the CEO of Cisco, one of the most you know, storied CEOs of all time. He was like, he's like, to this day... When the pressure starts coming, he goes, I relax. Mm-hmm. To this day, there was, he talks about the dot-com crash and how all these all this competition, a bunch of people got wiped out and how it almost killed Cisco and all this stuff. He goes like, when the bad things start happening and things start falling apart, he goes, I just instinctively go, mm-hmm. it's like I relax. Yeah. I don't want to start thrashing. If I start thrashing, I'm going to make a bad decision. If I start right. thrashing, I'm going to drown. It all goes back to the fishing pole. Yep. So he becomes this insane right. CEO. Mm-hmm. What does he do when he's stuck? Remember what my dad said. Just hold on the fishing pole. Don't, you know, if I start flashing around, I'm going to drown. Right. It's as easy as that in it's, a way. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. What an insane piece of, what a gift that old man gave his kid. Right. On the side of some riverbank. Right. Right. And I'm sure he never knew. Also, his kid was dyslexic. I'm, and it wasn't a good school. I'm sure he didn't know he was going to end up becoming one of the greatest CEOs of all time. Right. Sure. He was just trying to keep him alive. Right. And the cool thing about this story is, by the way, everybody listening to this, if I was to bump into you in 20 years and I said the fishing pole, they'd probably be able to tell me. Oh, yeah, that's the way stories work. How crazy is that? Yeah. And if they find themselves in a situation, an emergency, they'll also think of it. Yeah. Well, your armature is your fishing pole. Yeah. That's what it is. That's you want Don't thrash around. You want a career, right? Yeah. A career with actual stakes. This isn't the bullshit conversations around like... Well, I feel like, you know, whatever. This is, you're a working writer, you're a director, you're a filmmaker. You know how much better you can direct people when you know exactly what's going on in the scene and why the scene is set up the way it is? Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's your fishing pole. That's how you don't panic. You're like, well, I'm not going to panic. Why? Because I know exactly why this scene exists. Right. I know exactly what both of these characters want because I understand the armature. The armature is the thing that leads to all these other things. I know what I want people to look at. It's not a picture of my backyard. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing to hold on to. Yep. And if you get that, you get the skeleton, it's not going to make it easy. It'll never be easy. It's one of the hardest things to do on the planet, right? But it's more approachable. It's more manageable. And hopefully it will keep you from thrashing. Yep. Cool. Sounds good? Sounds good to thanks, me. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for watching You Are a Storyteller. If you have any questions or if there's a storytelling topic you want us to cover, 
leave a comment below or email us at hello at beliefagency.com. 